You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. I thought we were pretty excited after the Seahawks improved to 2-1 and one on the season and there was news that Jamal Adams was coming back. There was so much energy around the building. I didn't think anything can top it. I'm not going to lie, John Boyle. I have been at T-Mobile Park for some Mariners wins this week. That might have taken my energy level up even like three more notches. That yeah, looked fun. I wish I'd have been there to enjoy it in person like you. There was a lot of emotion that spilled out in a post-game interview that has only ever been matched by our favorite, Doug Baldwin. If you don't know what I'm referring to, you can go check that out <laughs> on Twitter. Some naughty words were There's, said. You know, some very emotional words. It, it, hey, I don't know that it was wrong. Luckily, you work on cable TV, so that <laughs> can't find you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not the one that's going to get fined for that one. I am the one, though, that's going to start our conversation today with one that I think is so tantalizing, one that we talked about during the offseason, but we haven't been able to dive into because of injuries. And, John, that's the fact that we could actually see three guys on the field that we projected to be difference makers, and I think they're finally going to be on the field together this week. I'm, I'm excited to see if we can make it through the week and, and both guys get to play. You know, and, and Jamal getting out there too, you know, because we've had this image of what it could be and how we could play and, and all that. Um, with, I'm not setting the expectations off the charts here. I want our guys to get out there and play and come back and help their team, you know, and, and that's all really I'm asking of them. But it, it is exciting, you know, and, and uh, I'm so happy for Jamal. He gets to get back to football. You know, he gets to playing again. So yeah, I, I did make note, uh, Jordan was sitting with Jamal here as we're getting ready for the walkthrough, and those two guys really fed off each other throughout the time when we got back to camp here and uh, competed and challenged and, and, you know, went head to head to make it back. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good moment that these guys get to play together this week. The players in the secondary, of course, Pete Carroll's talking about are Reek Wollin, Jamal Adams, and... Devin Witherspoon. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it was my bad that I didn't set that up to begin with, so I appreciate the cover on the backside of that. I was going to let that go. We're not calling you out I'm very emotional today. Very, in a good way. Very happy The Seahawks obviously have not had Jamal Adams yet this season. Devin Witherspoon was injured, missed the first two games. Then we got the very, very brief look at him and Reek Wollin playing together at cornerback, and then Reek Wollin unfortunately got hurt in Detroit and missed the last game. So if all goes well this week in practice and everybody gets through it healthy, seeing all three of those guys on the field, plus obviously the guys who have been there, Quandre Diggs, Julian Love, it, it's exciting to see what the secondary can be because you go back to training camp when we were talking about positions we were really excited about that were really deep and really talented. We've seen the depth has been outstanding. Trey Brown stepped up, you know, Artie Burns has stepped up with Kobe Bryant hurt. So the depth has been awesome, but to finally get all those kind of big-name guys out there at once is going to be cool. Well, and there's a lot of curiosity. Yeah. There's curiosity. What gonna, yeah. is What's it going to look like? Exactly. Where are they going to line up? I know the phrase big nickel was brought up earlier this week in a few conversations I was a part of. Big nickel would be three safeties. Three safeties instead of a third cornerback in that nickel role. I think we'll see some of that. I think we'll see some dime where – you have Jamal Adams maybe in the box, almost like a linebacker. That's That was a look they, you know, when you go back to last year, we only got one game to, to see it, but that was something they were doing a lot of with Jamal Adams of him essentially playing linebacker. So 
I think they'll do a lot of different things. We'll have to wait and see what it looks like. And I do think that there's some opportunities given who the opponent is this week, right? And the Seahawks aren't going to overlook anybody. But when you take a look at the numbers, Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, has been under a lot of pressure. That offense just not functioning the way that they anticipated. They've dealt with a lot of injuries across the offensive line. They're going to be playing with their fourth different offensive line combo this week. At least that's what's projected at this point. But I do think that there's some opportunity to dial up some pressure. For sure. I mean, the Seahawks, we've seen the pass rush heat up a little bit in the last game and a half, and they're going to look for their opportunities. You mentioned the injuries. That that line has been beat up. They're not going to get a lot of sympathy from Seattle, which was missing three starters last week on the line and could be again this week. So, We'll have to wait and see what it, it looks like in terms of their line and who plays, who doesn't. But, yeah, I think, you know, getting Jamal going on the pass rush would be great for this defense. That's something he does very well. Well, and you cannot overlook the fact that Daniel Jones is a dual-threat quarterback. Even yeah. if the numbers are not close to where he was last year, he is a guy that you got to keep an eye on. He is a true dual threat. I mean, of the you know, you look at the start of our season. We've we've seen three pocket guys. This is different, and and uh, he has the dynamics to, to to really you know break you because he doesn't just get out and, and make some yards. He can make big yards. He's he's got really good long speed, and he can he can be a factor. So uh, and they know it. We see it in their run style. You know, they're using him in the running game too. So uh, we know that they you know they respect that and as part of it. So it's a different challenge for us this week. Yeah, the Seahawks' run defense obviously has been fantastic this year, but this is a new wrinkle they have not yet seen of a quarterback. I mean, look, every quarterback can scramble occasionally. We've seen guys pick up yards here and there, but a guy who they're going to call run plays for, and he's going to be you know, a fast, physical runner. So that's a good test for the defense. I was talking to one of the writers out there for the Giants, and he, he Daniel Jones barely ran last week, even with Sa- Saquon Barkley out. And it, he made it sound like, you know, that's not something they want. And, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot more running out of the quarterback this week as they try to get him going. Well, and part of this is the pressure that he is facing, yeah. right? Like, when you take a look at these numbers, and again, changes on their offensive line, as you said, they're not getting any sympathy. He's been under pressure on 46% of his dropbacks. And when you look at how many pressures they've allowed – 27 of them have come in under two seconds. John, do you know what that means? It means you got no chance. You got no chance. They're untouched. Like, you couldn't even chip a guy. You you couldn't even put, yes, 27 times. To me, that's a communication issue, right? That's not a talent issue up front. We're just not picking up the guys that are coming across. Think about how many times Geno's been under pressure in a similar situation where you've got fill-in tackles playing. I, I think it... It helps to put into perspective how ready to go those guys were. The fact that Gino has still had time to make plays downfield, yeah. right? The one I just saw this morning is look at uh, Aiden Hutchinson's numbers over, yes. over four games. The amount of pressures, all that, they just off the charts every game except one. Yeah. He had a very quiet game against Seattle. So good on Jake Curran. Yeah, and uh, Detroit's win on Thursday night puts into perspective the Seahawks' win in Detroit. And I'm going to be curious to see what happens after this one because one of the things that Giants fans will point to, or maybe some of the writers, and again, New York is a very different environment, so their conversations are much different, but they look at those offensive numbers and they say, well, you know, you've also played the Cowboys and the Niners, Two of the best defenses. defenses. So I think, John, one of the questions we're going to be able to answer is, is Seattle one of the good defenses? Yeah. Right? Like three weeks is still a small sample size. I think they're trending in the right direction for sure. I mean, look, the the pass numbers, the third down numbers have not been great. But 
when you start with that run defense, which was the big issue last year, and you're playing that good week after week, we've seen things start to improve with the rest of the defense. The pass rush is getting better. As Pete Carroll referenced, it's kind of that pass rush coverage working together because, you know, look, I'm not saying Devin Witherspoon alone fixes things, but, man, every time they throw the ball near him, he is right there. And when you get that kind of sticky coverage, and we'll see hopefully again Reek Wollenbach, Jamal Adams will help in a lot of those zone concepts and coverage. Like Once they start covering a little better, and I think they're already trending that way, I think this defense is going to start to look a lot better. You mentioned Devin Witherspoon. He led the team in tackles in Week 3. The Seahawks have had three different players that have led the team in tackles. We talked about that with a couple of players, but what do you think that means? What does that indicate? You know, sometimes it's just week-to-week schematically what's going on with the other team, but as Bobby Wagner talked about, it's like they got a lot of different dudes who can step up and make plays. I mean, for Bobby Wagner or Jordan Brooks to lead the team tackles is kind of what you would expect, and that's where it should be, but... Man, for Witherspoon to do that, look, usually if a cornerback has 11 tackles, you're like, yeah, he's getting picked on, and he's tackling dudes downfield after they caught the ball. And that was not the case. He was stepping up, making tackles near the line of scrimmage, run support, you know, short little dump-off passes where he's getting the guys near the line of scrimmage. He, he was really good. And as if we needed any more evidence or proof that this guy is a dude, remember – That Super Bowl team was back in the building, and I heard some of those guys having conversations. And K.J. Wright brought it up this week that he and Cam were talking about Devin just in watching him and how he walked out onto the field and said there's an obvious swagger and pointed to Devin as being the guy that could have played on that 2013 team, which I thought was interesting Hmm. before they actually watched how that game played out. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, he's... He seems like he's got something special. He's uh, He is an instinctive player. He is a hard hitter, and he has made a difference in the defense. So is Julian Love. He was one of those guys that led the team in tackles one week. He gets a chance to go back home, but the Seahawks are glad he's in a Hawks uniform. First off, Julian's brought a lot of, a lot of really good stuff. Um, really bright leader, terrific effort guy, um, helps guys around him. Um, has been making plays, knocking balls down, and doing stuff for us. So he's he's off to a great start with us. Um, we haven't talked yet about going back um, specifically, but uh, that's that's coming up. Um, it's always a challenge, you know, when you, you you know you play for the place that you're returning to. It's always can be a challenge. Guys take it differently, so um, we'll talk it through. I think he's in pretty good shape. He's heard us talk to other guys, you know, about the same kind of situation. So I think we'll be all right. Yeah, this is a guy who spent his first four years for the Giants, really established himself as a very good player, a starting caliber player. So probably a big deal for him to go back home. We're going to hear from him later today about it. But, uh, I, you know, with him, it, it, this ties back to the Jamal conversation. I'm really curious to see how his role changes, if, you know, if it does. Where, how they use those th- three guys together. This goes back to, you know, March when Pete Carroll was asked about it, and he was very clear, like, no, we want to see all three of those guys on the field a lot. This is not going to be a case of, we're just doing a little sub package with three safeties. I think it's going to be a pretty big staple of this defense. Be fun to see how that looks. And, you know, in the case of Julian Love, how that changes what they ask him to do. Yeah. And who comes off the field. Yeah. Right. Because right now you've got a defense that's making plays Mm -hmm. and things will change and things will evolve. But I am curious to see who comes off the field to make room for some of those, those options. Geno Smith is another guy. Who's going back home? You and, brought that one up. I'd almost forgotten about that. He's not coming off the field. Yeah, let's make that transition very clear. Yeah. I, I'd almost forgotten it was a homecoming for him. I mean, he played the Jets last year. That's the yeah. one that I was thinking of, right? He, he plays his former a, team. He hasn't started a game in that building. He started one game, I think, in the 2016 season, 
uh, just in his last year at the Jets. But before that, last time he started there was 2014 when he finished out his second year. So. I totally forgot about that. I know he's going to handle it like a champ. And you know what? We're going to talk about the offense after we get a word from our sponsor. Statistically, the world is losing color. Just consider all white kitchens, beige baby nurseries, a sea of gray cars. But in the hundreds of destinations Delta flies to, you can rediscover color in the bright blue waters of Hawaii, the emerald green hills of Scotland, the berry pink cherry blossoms of Tokyo, and so much more. Sometimes opening your world is all it takes to open your mind, which is why when you fly Delta, your potential takes off when you do. Delta, official airline of the Seattle Seahawks. When it comes to the offense, Seattle is coming off a big game against the Panthers, 425 yards of total offense. And yet, I don't know that Pete was as excited about that run game as I yeah, anticipated that him to be. It's like, the question was like, Yo, he rushed for 146 yards, Kenneth Walker's Offensive Player of the Week, and he's kind of like, yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah. I, I will be honest, that was my question, and I was a little bit surprised by the answer on that one. But Gino continues to move the ball down the field, um, and really I think the Hawks have found one of his great strengths. He's really done well with play actions. Uh, I think anything we call for Gino, he can do well. You know, He really has our system down. He can take full advantage of, of the opportunities. He's really clear about going through his progression, so he's taking full advantage of the opportunities in, in the play pass game, and he'll see it if, if, we get, you know, if we get some big space. And he's also you know, really connected to checking the ball down. He realizes if we can continue to make positive uh, you know, progress in, in that aspect of our game, then we'll call another one you know, and we'll get another shot at it. So um, you know, he's just pretty darn efficient at everything. That last word, Pete used efficient. I think I've almost, in a year of watching him play, gotten too used to how efficient he is. And I'll tell you how I know this. He went 12 for 13 in the second half, and I didn't even realize. like He did? Yeah, 12 for 13, 100, I can't remember the yardage with the touchdown. Like I knew he was playing well in the offense, yeah. but I wasn't watching I that. that. I wasn't number. watching that thinking, like, man, Gino's on fire. Because it's when he's had that, you know, just completing so many passes all along. But get to the play-action conversation, I think that's going to be a big weapon this week because of how aggressive this Jets yes. front is. Like, they'll blitz like crazy. They come after you. So play action is a really good way to kind of try to neutralize that a little bit. Yeah, it is interesting when you look at the Jets and how they employ the blitz. There is only one team that blitzes more than the Giants do, and they are blitzing 56% of the time, but they're not getting home. You know that they're not going to stop doing it, but they haven't gotten those numbers. They don't have any sacks on the season. They're they're barely getting pressure on the quarterbacks. I, and so I really think that there's some big opportunity here. Well, I mean, if a team's blitzing and not getting home, that's a good formula for an offense because you can – obviously there's less guys back there to defend. So this – you know, I'm not going to say anything. You know, you don't want to overlook any opponent, let's say that, but – there's opportunity there for sure for this offense. Okay, I have to correct myself because I needed to flip my page of notes and find where I wrote this. They actually do have two sacks, but a pressure rate of just 16%. That is the 28th lowest in the league. I mean, if we're correcting ourselves, you also just said Jets. Said Jets I know. Dang it. I was going to let it go, but you know. I It was halfway <laughs> out of my mouth, and I'm like, did I say that right? Folks, this is how you know it's real life. Hey, and you had a late night. That <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, we got the soundboard. Who's adding sound effects today? I tell you what. 
These guys are baking me crazy right now. We're going to take a little bit of a break. You said baking me crazy. Yes, it was off of a commercial years (laughs) ago, and it's what I have adapted. All right, all right. You know what? We need to pause. We are going to turn this over to Scott Engel, our fantasy expert, because I think this conversation about opportunity downfield fits into what he's seen this week, too. Thanks, Jen and John, and you can expect more good fantasy production from some of your top Seahawks in Week 4. Tyler Lockett has five receiving touchdowns in his last four road games, and another end zone visit is very possible at MetLife Stadium on Monday night. The Giants also rank 25th in fantasy points per game allowed to running backs, so look for another big week from Kenneth Walker III. He has five-plus games with two or more rushing touchdowns since the beginning of last season, the second most in the league during that span. And the return of Jamal Adams is going to make the Seahawks fantasy defense a good streamer in Week 4. Last week, according to Pro Football Focus... The Seahawks had 36 pressures. That was the most in the league for week three. And Jamal Adams coming back only adds to the possibility of the Seahawks generating sacks and turnovers that you want from your fantasy defense. From other teams, continue to roll out C.J. Stroud if you took the chance last week. Now he's more of a solid streamer. He ranks fifth in the NFL already with 906 passing yards. And he should be not afraid of an aggressive Pittsburgh defense and will continue to launch the ball. Kyron Williams has become a must-start. He is one of two NFC running backs. Kenneth Walker III is the other with four scrimmage touchdowns in his first three weeks. Expect another end zone trip against the Indianapolis Colts. Jalen Warren could have a bust-out week. He faces a Houston defense that is 29th in fantasy points per game allowed to running backs. And wide receiver, go with Adam Thielen in a game against his former team, the Minnesota Vikings. Thielen had 145 receiving yards last week and has had touchdowns in each of his last two games. Also, don't overlook Michael Pittman Jr. of the Indianapolis Colts against the Los Angeles Rams. He is the only NFL player with eight-plus receptions in each of the first three games of the season. Also, if you're looking for an upside play, consider rookie Marvin Mims Jr. of the Denver Broncos. He is averaging an outrageous 27.9 yards per catch and has a good matchup against the Bears' pass defense. And at tight end... This could be the breakout week for Dalton Kincaid, the rookie tight end of the Buffalo Bills, expecting a high-scoring affair in a very entertaining and important game against the Miami Dolphins. Be sure to check out more of my fantasy football analysis at thegameday.com and also my lineup rankings at rotoballer.com. Thanks, and back to you, Jen and John. Uh, Thank you, Scott. Let's get back to the conversation about Geno because it fits in with his wide receiver conversation. You mentioned that the efficiency surprised you in the second half. I think one of the reasons that caught us off guard is because third downs are still a problem. And so it's hard. You're kind of focused on that number instead of all of the good numbers that the offense has racked up. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing for all the things this team has done well so far. That's kind of been the one they haven't gotten over the hump yet. The red zones improved from last year. Obviously, all the overall numbers are looking really strong. But, yeah, they, that's the one they need to figure out, you know, whether it's doing better in some of the first and second downs to avoid third and long or just converting on third down. But, you know, they 
they've done pretty well. You know, 37 points in two straight games. There's a lot to like about that. But over the course of a season, you got to get that number up on third down. Yeah. And uh, it has not just been this year. That's been a, a trend over the last few years. I know part of that is keeping first and second down reasonable. But mm-hmm. Seattle's got good numbers on those downs. Yeah. It's just been a problem on third down. Jason Myers, though, that was a great game. I think that was the game that he needed to have. Absolutely. And, and maybe the fans to some degree, too. But certainly Jason just locking things in and getting the points that were needed. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, a weird position in football. Like, you're not doing much for a lot of the game, then you come out in these big moments, and you worry, you know, just kind of the mental side of that game if a guy's missing kicks because we've seen it where guys don't come back very well from it. So for him to go from a game where he missed two kicks to making all his kicks in the second half of that game and then coming back the next week making five field goals, two extra points, like, you're like, okay, he, you know, he got over it, he's good. Move forward. Also, we can give his leg a rest this week. I'm okay hey, with yeah, that. Just some extra points. Just some extra and points. just like some yeah. chip shots right there. Um, he did tell me after the game that mechanically he does like to tinker. Sometimes he tinkers a little bit too much. Sometimes he tries to make too many adjustments. So he was dialing that in, and he gives himself two minutes. He's got a, a yeah, two-minute rule. Two-minute rule. Yeah, like, two-minute rule. It. Yeah, I should probably implement that in my own just day-to-day. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it would certainly help you because I might be mad at you all day for the way that you laughed well, at me hey, earlier. But I'm laughing with you, Jen. No. No, you weren't. Well. <laughs> Here we go. Agree to disagree. I tell you what we can agree on is that there's a couple of things the Seahawks need to do to get a win on Sunday. You want to go first this time? Monday. I did it again. Hey, I was going to let that one go. I mean, we just talked about it, but I, I'd love to see the offense get the third down number up. Just get it over 50%. Start there, and then you can build from there. But get, you know, just convert a few more of those. Take the easy ones, hopefully, and make it go from there. Um, and then, not that I think they need Jamal Adams to have a crazy game to win, but I would love to see Jamal Adams make an impact, whether that's, you know, getting some, getting a sack, getting a takeaway. Just I think it would do – it'd just be really nice for the whole defense to see him out there kind of bringing that energy. So – Let's get a big player, too, from Jamal. I love both of those things. I am going to add to it when it comes to Jamal and the impact of that defense. I would like to see three sacks. Doesn't have to be from Jamal, but I would like to see that pass rush dial up the pressure against an offensive line that has clearly struggled this year in the Giants. And on offense, I'd like to see the Seahawks get five explosive plays. If they're not going to get home on the blitz, and DK Metcalf talked about it this week, there's opportunity yeah. downfield. So get the explosives, which will then in turn help the third down numbers. There you go. That's the game plan that we've drawn up for Monday night. We'll see oh, how things I'm sure play out. Listen. They always do. Yeah. And you always listen. We appreciate that. We'll be back with you next time. <laughs>